I did graduation pictures yesterday because apparently I'm a I'm a child. Um, but it, it's a guy I've known for a while. So I used to I grew up like in the wedding industry. So both my parents own companies in the wedding industry. Um, so I used to work for them growing up, and so I, I know a lot of people, and I know this uh, particular photographer. And I've known him for years, but I never knew his story. And at some point, he's like, yo, what are you into now? I haven't seen you for like four or five years. And I'm like, oh, you know, Amazon, you know, SaaS. And he's like, no way. You know, I used to be an engineer. I was like, uh, no, I didn't Uh-oh. actually. And he's like, yeah, fun fact. I wrote the transfer protocols for Napster. Like, <laughs> what? I love it. What do you mean? He's like, yeah, I, I straight up on an IRC chat channel back in the day worked with i forget the the napster dude's name but he's like yeah no i worked with him he's like i was writing transfer protocols um for something else that were udp which are just a little bit faster and he's like he reached out and asked if i would write it and then asked if i would come to work for him he's like i didn't because it was illegal and then i saw him on wired magazine was like that was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) super cool man it was great we talked like the whole like i'm really into the 80s hacker culture like to me it's pure nostalgia because uh, i grew up obviously not in the 80s like i'm a 92 uh baby but it it was close enough to where like all the things were still really cool like all the movies all the old school hacker movies from the 80s super cool the culture still somewhat existed um but yeah it was uh it was a cool cool evening so out. I imagine, so I have two thoughts here. One, I imagine Sneakers was or is a good movie. Sneakers is a opinion? great movie, yes. Yeah, okay. I of figured course. that was the case. That's, Real You genius. mentioned 80s hacker culture. Yeah, and I, I think Sneakers was more like 90, early 90s, but yeah. the, the idea is generally the same. Um, and then two, this guy's working for you now, right? Is that where the story's going? No, so so basically he he did. I mean, that would be. I I considered it for like half a second. I was like, dude, that'd be so sick. Because, um, dude, we're talking about like Captain Crunch, which, by the way, this is like super nerdy stuff. Like, if you know who Captain Crunch is, like massive big ups because mm-hmm. you know some stuff. Um, if you know what phone freaking is, but but yeah, he's throwing out these terms. I'm like, bro, this is so sick. He's talking about hacking the Gibson. I was like, yes, I love it, dude. <laughs> so good. I'm trying to I remember when I was when I was a wee lad. I think you're actually a few years younger than me too, which is starting to be a thing. It's starting to depress me a little that people that are coming up in the world so to speak are now younger than I am and I, that's usually how it works. I'm just like, "Oh god, I'm getting to that point now." And now I know how my parents <laughs> felt. Um right. I I remember I I remember as a wee lad as a as a tyke if you will the uh the days of downloading the the anarchy cookbook yeah whatever back it was in called, the day remember? yeah it was cookbook yeah yeah I, I i remember phone antics were a were a big deal in that book and yeah uh, and explosives. this will never be on the show i'm sure <laughs> <Literally but> explosives <laughs> i i yeah i remember i remember the uh the the rough idea of how to I make explosives with fertilizer and diesel fuel. Like for some reason, <laughs> that stuck in my head. That was out thing. of all things. This will yeah. never be in the show. I promise. Oh, I that's good. Where this will never be in yeah, the show. We're totally gonna get in trouble. Yeah, it speaks to my younger adolescence. Uh-huh. Yeah, it <laughs> was. Why uh, is Dylan always in his bedroom on his computer? Um, <laughs> well, fun fact: he's learning how to blow shit up and how to hack. But he's everything. learning. That's that's the key. He's learning something. <laughs> It's not productive, but that's okay. I think that's why I'm so scrappy. It comes from from like having that hacker mentality back in the day. 
Like I remember there's there's a site called hackthisite.org. I think it still exists. And it was like different levels and it progressively gets worse or like more difficult. And you get to like encryption and like all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but you're doing like SQL injections, cross-site scripting. Like it's some cool stuff, but it's straight up just a challenge. It's like, here's a thing. Like here's a fake bank account. Use SQL injection to get it into the admin. You're like, oh, sick. <laughs> like, and it's like a real setup, you know, you know, quote unquote real. But uh, yeah, that was, that's how I spent my, my evenings before discovering World of Warcraft and spending like nine hours a day on that. Oh man. Yeah. World of Warcraft was my uh, 2010 to yeah. 2013-ish. Okay. I, I wasn't in in the early days by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, same. It took me a few years to realize that I am one of those nerds and to accept it. Oh, yeah. But no, I did definitely spend a ton of time on it, especially when I was unemployed, which I think is the, <laughs> that's the brand, right? Right. That's the thing you shouldn't do when you're unemployed is be unproductive. <laughs> you should do the opposite thing. But but then who would play the game, right? That is also true. Because I think my senior year is when I really started to play. I got sick for like four days and stayed home. I was like, I'll play it. It's free for like level 10. And then just went ham. I was like, I love this. This is my new addiction. So. <laughs> I I tried to get back into it a few times over the years. Yeah. It's just so um, different now. It is. And it's but it's and it's still the same. I think what what's what what I struggled with getting back into it every single time is that it's still roughly the same. I feel like the culture is slightly different. Like back in the day, like the guilds and the rating, like I, I didn't get into the rating as much, but definitely like guilds, like team speak, like, oh, that was my jam. It's just, it's so different now in the way it's played, I think. Um, it makes it slightly less fun. Because um, I was a tank it in. And like, so like, I got to a point where I would, like, the way I would get gold is I would just solo farm, like, low level instances and just like sell everything. Um, and I would just run that for like hours. Like, that was fun. PvP was super fun at a higher level. That was amazing. Especially once you got mounts and whatnot. But, uh, I don't know. I, I downloaded it and played it a few weeks ago when I had some downtime just to kind of see. And yes, a MacBook can run World of Warcraft. Yeah, it can. Not on Ultra, but on good. <laughs> and it's good enough. <laughs> no lag. But uh, it, it helps when you when you have fiber optic connection. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it was it, it was still cool. It was still fun. But I do not. I do not miss, but I also miss being able to spend eight hours a day playing video games. Mm, yeah. I miss it because it was fun, but I don't miss it because it's such a, 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 a like an infinity hole or an infinity loop where like it's just never ending. And then you're like, why is it 3 a.m.? Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way about Netflix. And I promise we'll get to the show. If you if this totally drives you nuts, there are chapter markers for a reason. I'm not going to torture our <laughs> listeners too much with this, right? Like, I, I, I understand if you don't like to hear us talk about regular people things fine whatever chapter markers you can move on um i feel roughly the same way about netflix and you know just like binging visual content in general like last weekend i spent probably a third of it just binging netflix because i didn't have a ton i actually needed to do but then after the weekend was over i was like i don't feel like i did anything and like i was measuring it based on like tasks accomplished and in that regard, I didn't do a whole hell of a lot, but like I did actually do things. It just didn't produce results. And that's always a, a conflict I have. It's like, I feel like I wasted my weekend because I wasn't constantly producing something, you know, no, I, I, I produce things all day, every day, all week. 
And then it's hard to get out of that mindset after a while. Let, let me tie this back into business because I have said this all the time and it didn't make sense until like I started like my Amazon business, but playing MMORPGs like RuneScape, like World of Warcraft as a kid, as an adolescent, because they have in-game economies, you learn so much about supply and demand. You learn so much about like how to be a merchant, <laughs> like in the classical sense of like, okay, I can buy out all. So, so if I'm looking at one, one product, so to speak on like the grand exchange um, on, on wow. And I see there's, let's say 600 units in total at different price points. If I time it correctly, I can outbuy all those, control the market, and then mark it up, and then put them all into better assorted stacks, right? So, so if there's like a stack of three, a stack of five, you know, one, I can put them all into stacks of twenty. So, one, it's a better, it's a better option for the consumer, so to speak. But I can just raise the price because now I own the market. Like, it's a very interesting concept that, like, if you get if you start to learn that as a kid. It's really fun as an adult. So like tell your kids to play World of Warcraft. Like it's great. I mean, don't let them get addicted because that's easy. But you know what I mean? Like, but but to switch gears back over to like what you're just saying, which is like you feel unproductive on weekends. I get that too. But I don't I don't know if it's right and I don't know if it's wrong. Um the reason for that is the more I do research, so I'm obsessed with biohacking and all that stuff, and I just got a peak performance coach. And the reason for that is I know I have built-in assumptions and biases and low-key I want to be proven wrong so that I can adapt and learn and get better, right? So like if I'm trying to 10x the revenue of the company, clearly, at least in my mind, logically and rationally, I need to become a a more performant-based person. Not that I'm not, right? It's like I get a lot of shit done. I do. But that doesn't mean that I'm at my peak. And that doesn't mean that there's not everything that I don't know <laughs> um, that could be applied. And and so I say that to say there's a difference between you needing to be productive all the time and then there is productive downtime, right? Like high quality downtime. Like I don't think necessarily um, like binging Netflix is the optimal downtime, Um but that doesn't also mean that what you should have done is just ran through task after task after task, right? You need productive downtime in the sense of like recovery. So if you look at high performing people, at least from what I'm seeing based off research, um, they don't go 24 seven all day hard, seven days a week. They don't, they actually don't. Instead, they, they have polarity, right? So they will go hard for let's say 10 hours a day and then super down, super productive downtime recovery, the rest, or, if you do have to go hard for an entire week, you do that, but then you take like half a week off kind of a thing to recover. You have to play with these polarities. And I think sitting directly in the middle doesn't really get you anywhere. Um, at least from, from my experience, there's, there's times where you do need to double down. There's times where you have opportunities in front of you where you need to go hard. Um, for example, a few weeks ago, we had to work 20 hours straight, um, slept for four hours and got up and basically did it again. That needed to happen. But I also took the next few days to like recover <laughs> because like that's not sustainable. Um, and it, realistically, we should not have done that. But it just it was a it was a time based thing that needed to get done. 
And so we got it done. But um, it, it's a, it's an interesting concept because I had that problem too where I'm like, I didn't do anything today. And it's like a Saturday. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> right? Yeah, I find it, I find it at least in my head anyways, uh, uh, a good balance is knowing, you know, I, I, I know there's a list of things I have to do over the weekend. And so instead of front loading the weekend and then sitting on my ass for the rest of it, I'll spread it out a bit. So like on Saturday, for example, is generally when I edit this podcast. So I'll spend the morning kind of slowly ramping up and just, you know, taking my time. And then the afternoon I'll sit down and I'll do the podcast and then I'll go do nothing else productive and then I'll come back and do something else. And, you know, I have this, this, this ebb and flow of productivity throughout the day. Um, and it's, it largely works. I, I I weave in chores and errand type things. I mean, when when I could go outside, that is. Um, and it it generally works most of the time. I think that's for me. It's a happy medium because if I just sat and did stuff all day, then I really didn't have a weekend at all, right? And I, now I just feel I I I would likely feel if I let myself get into that state all weekend, I would likely feel worse than if I just didn't do anything all weekend yeah no that's fair the, the way i approach it i batch it um and this is mainly because of when i was in school um just the way it worked out right so like saturdays are like completely open no tasks get done on saturday unless like it's a short-term thing and like it's just got to get done but i try to avoid that as often as possible most things are not critical right so saturday completely off it's time to actually spend with like family and friends right you need one day i think to not think about anything that's important. <laughs> like you really, you need like one day of play. Right. And then Sundays, um, the way it was working when I had classes is I would pretty much have six to eight hours of either doing coursework or studying for exams. So I would just post up at Starbucks. I would, I would treat it like a job. I would show up at like eight, nine o'clock. I would do that. I would go grab lunch somewhere. I would come back, finish it up. And then I would do my maintenance day task. So I still do these. Um, it takes maybe a few hours. And so it's a it's a group of tasks that, when done, set me up to succeed for the week. It is basic stuff, right? It's like, listen, clean the apartment because I'm not doing that during the week. Like, I will clean up after myself, obviously, because I'm slightly OCD, but I'm not going to, like, break out the vacuum on, like, a Tuesday. Like, I'm not doing it. Um, so, so one, I will clean everything like deep clean, like let's get it set, right? You want to go into the week kind of ready to go, wash any clothes, right? So laundry gets done every every Sunday. Luckily, I'm a minimalist, so like I have one load of laundry to do, so that really doesn't take hardly any time, which is kind of nice. Um, I will mill, mill plan and mill prep and shop, right? So what's on sale, what I want to eat this week. Okay, let me go grab that, come back, mill prep it, we're good. So if it's done correctly, um, the apartment is in tip-top shape, all my clothes are ready. I have my meals planned. So that saves me time during the work day. Cause what I don't want to do is at like 11, 1130, be thinking, what should I eat today? Like it's already done. We're, pre- we're prepped and planned, um, which saves you a ton of time. And then the last thing I do on Sundays is I actually reverse engineer like my goals. So, so I have air table set up and I wrote this on, on, on my blog. It's like my nerdy <laughs> productivity setup, but basically I use a rendition of OKR. So objectives and key results from Google or Intel It's from Intel, but Google uses them pretty heavily. They kind of push it pretty hard. We use it as a company. I use it as a person. So I will say, you know, for 2020, I want to hit these goals in these different categories. 
And then each quarter I will sit down and say, great, based off those annuals, what what needs to happen? Like what's a milestone that would get me closer? I also do that every month for the quarter, quarterly ones. And then every Sunday I will sit down and look at my monthly goals and reverse engineer and say, great, what task can I do per day this week to make sure that happens? Um, so prime example, I wanted to launch a new side project. Um, that side project happened to be AMZ Weekly. The first thing that I wanted, so I want that to be successful. I want that to have a thousand subscribers. And then what I what I set for this month, which was like, I just launched it this month is, or, or last month, I'm sorry. Um, but this month, what I wanted was 500 subscribers. So then every Sunday I would sit down and say, what what's the one thing that I could do that would help me get there? Typically it was, hey, reach out to this person who you have a relationship with and ask them if they would promote it. So I do that one thing a week and we're at like 520, 527, 530, somewhere around there. So like, but, but what's great is like, it was five tasks in total that got that to happen, which is kind of cool, right? Or really six if you include like launching it, right? Um, so in terms of like time investment, not a lot. So I'm being very effective and efficient with my time, but I'm being very direct in the sense of what needs to get done this week. So I'm doing that across the board. I'm doing that for my personal life. I'm doing that for, for my professional life too, right? Um, so when I do that on Sundays and I use frameworks to make this super simple, super easy for me, I, I don't, this does not need to be like a two hour thing. Really, it's maybe 30 to 45 minutes. I do that. I schedule everything out and like Todoist or if it's a like a calendar thing, I'll throw it on my calendar. Typically, it's just going to be in Todoist. I just schedule it out. I'm done. So now I'm going into the week completely prepared, completely knowing what needs to get done. So when I when I show up, so to speak, to get work done, I don't decide anything. It's already been decided. I don't have decision fatigue. I can tell you exactly what needs to get done and when. So I just need to show up and get the work done. So when I show up and I'm working, let's say 10 hours a day, it's a action-packed 10 hours because I'm not sitting around for half an hour being like, what should I work on next? What's the most important thing? I've already done that. We're good here. We just need to execute now. So, so that maintenance day still exists. It's, I would say in total, it takes probably two to three hours and that's just kind of spread out, right? You're doing things here and there. I'm listening to a podcast while I'm like loading up the laundry and like cleaning. You know, I might throw on a movie if I'm kind of planning um, just as like background noise. But uh, that to me, like that got me through college, <laughs> like hands down. Um, that enabled me to have one day to batch the things that needed to get done. Like I'm not going to study on a Thursday. I got work stuff to get done, but I can do it on Sunday. Problem solved. I like it. Yeah. I have no, I have no additional comments to add. <laughs> nice. I like it. That's good. Perfect. Uh, what was the there? I, I I'm, I'm assuming there was some kind of original motivation. Like what, what went through your head to make you realize I need a peak performance coach. I've always said that, or let me, let me, let me rephrase this. I have experimented with, because I've always been told that when you are uncomfortable, you grow. Makes sense. I thought you were about to start talking about drugs. Like no <laughs> joke. Like I thought you were about to say, I've experimented with drugs. Anyway, <laughs> no, carry on. No. Um, but every time I'm given an opportunity that makes me nervous or anxious, and I have executed and gone through it, I've become a better person. Prime example, a year, probably two years ago at this point, had somebody schedule a call with me. I was like, hey, um, we have a group in Miami. 
and we would love for you to come speak. We, we listen to the podcast. We would love for you to drive down and speak. They're like, we're a relatively small group, like 70, 80 people. I was like, one, that's not small. Um, two, I'm about to have a heart attack. Now I'm on the phone, so I can't deal with these emotions and then respond. I can't be like, oh, well, let me think about it. No, it's a yes or a no right now. And I just said yes. I was like, yep. What are you going to speak about? No idea. I will figure that out, but let's just get it scheduled. And then a week before, I created the slide deck, decided what I was going to speak about, and drove down and did it. And um, I actually had my my best friend drive down with me just to hang out. And we, I think we, there was like 90 plus people. There's people sitting on the floor. I was so nervous and anxious. And they fed me Colombian coffee right before. So I'm the millennial who talks fast as is. And I'm like hyped up, like, let's go. <laughs> and it's, it was the coolest thing because we, we answered, I, I, I'm casual about stuff. So I'm like, Hey, if just stop me and ask me a question in real time. And so we did that. And so when I got done and we got to like Q and A, there was no Q and A. Like, no, this, this is good. There was no like standing ovation. There's no, none of that. Right. Which is not really a normal thing, by the way. And so I'm kind of just wrapping up like, cool, that's it. You know, everybody is going to go next door to have drinks and just kind of socialize and then just got bombarded in like the best way. Because the whole time as I'm shutting this whole thing down, I'm like, I just bombed people like <laughs> I'm the young I'm the young guy who, who you know, I had this imposter syndrome moment where I'm like, I don't know anything. Right. That's just how I felt. And then they came up and gave me amazing things. I mean, amazing compliments. And it it was the coolest thing because even after that, we go next door to have drinks and <laughs> it's like I walk in the door and everybody just turns their head and, and like beelines it to me. And it was the coolest thing because it, it gave me so much confidence, right? It made me feel as though I do know what I'm talking about. I think imposter syndrome um, and actually I have a piece going out on AMZ Weekly tomorrow that actually talks about dealing with imposter syndrome because it's such a big rampant thing um, that I personally deal with. So I, I assume a lot of other people do as well. But But going through that uncomfortable thing helped me grow. And now I'm comfortable speaking. I have no, I mean, I, I did a, a remote win because COVID, but there's like 500 people on this thing. Normally I'd be freaked out. But I was completely confident and just comfortable. And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's exposure therapy to a certain degree. So I got to a point where I know where the business is now. I know what I'm capable of, but I know where I want to take it. And it's 10 times the size it is now. And I've never ran a company that size. I've never ran a company this size. <laughs> so I, I'm a big, so I, obviously I like analogies and frameworks. So I, I'm not sure if this is a real thing, but I call it probability stacking. So my thing is, if you can do all the things that increase the probability of you achieving something, what's the probability of you achieving it? It's at least higher than it was before, right? <laughs> so why wouldn't you do that, right? It's like, if you're like, hey, I want to lose weight. Okay, how do we probability stack this thing? Well, I know that I can increase your probability by, let's say, 10% to achieve that goal if you track your macronutrients using a tool like MyFitnessPal. I know for a fact, because I used to be a personal trainer, that if you have accountability, you'll definitely increase it by 40%. So already we're at 50% probability. That's not including the organic probability of you just wanting to, to do this, right? So like, if we're viewing it that way, we're able to take something you want to accomplish and make it a little bit easier. Or at least increase the probability of it happening, of you succeeding. That's what we want, right? And they're not really hard things. They're typically easy things. But my thing is, there's there's this analogy, um, and I'm going to try to do this vocally because it's a visual thing. Imagine a dot. That's you. There's a small circle around you. Those are the things that you know you know, okay? Outside of that circle, 
is a little bit larger circle. These are the things that you know that you don't know. Outside of that is a three times larger circle, which are the things you don't know that you don't know. Like, consider that for a moment, right? I want to live there. That's really, as a person, where I live. I am obsessed with finding out things that I don't know that I didn't know, which is a weird concept, but it makes sense over time, right? It's like, I want more exposure to more knowledge, more information that because I know it, I'm a better human being. So for me to say, I know I have to become a better person, a better business owner, a higher achiever to get from point A to point B, and I, and I know about probability stacking, how do I think I can increase the probability of me doing that? Well, one, I got to get a little uncomfortable because I know when I grow, it's because I'm uncomfortable, right? So let's get a coach. That's uncomfortable. I got to pay somebody, right? Um, it's a 12-week thing. It's one-on-one. Accountability. They're going through it. all of my data. It's a very data-driven thing. <laughs> so they're going through my sleep metric. I mean, we're doing sleep, nutrition, mind, body, like all the whole thing. So it's uncomfortable. But I'm going to grow because of it, right? And I'm going to get exposure to knowledge that I didn't previously have. Right. So when you, it's like the seven minute mile, right? When you know something is possible, the fact of you knowing it changes the way you approach everything, right? After somebody breaks the seven minute mile, two weeks later, everybody else does it. <laughs> it's absolutely insane, right? It's just because you didn't know that it was possible. But the fact that you do now changes how you approach the problem. So for me, the easiest way to get that exposure is, is getting a peak performance coach. Who's somebody who specializes in doing the thing that I'm attempting to do? Do, they, do I think that they have a, a higher probability of, of getting me there than me by myself? I just know the person I'm going to have to become is completely different than the person I am now to achieve that goal in a good way, not a bad way, right? It's just like, and because it's not just how do I work more? That's the easy stuff, right? Like the productivity stuff, how to use a to-do list, how to use calendar blocking, that's the easy stuff. Got you covered. Now it's how do I become the best version of myself to run a company 10 times larger than a company I've ever ran, which is already larger than any company I've ever ran before to begin with. That is exciting. It's also scary. But but that's, I guess, my rationale. It's a long-winded rationale for why I decided to, to go get a peak performance coach. What I'm hearing is that you're six and a half months late on your New Year's resolutions. <laughs> so I don't set New Year's resolutions. I will definitely say that. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's good, though. I just I I felt like I need to I needed to toss in something there because I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. I don't I I, I don't know what to add. Here. Like, I'm just like <laughs> I'm just thinking about what 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 total garbage humor can I throw out there that. I think is entirely funny, but probably isn't in real life. Well, that New Year's <laughs> resolution thing sounds kind of neat. It's kind of what he's talking about, right? sort of. Not really. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> no, I get it. It's uh, it it's an interesting thing. Um, so me having been a personal trainer, I'm okay with coaches. Um, it's different than in the space that me and you come from. So the Amazon space specifically, when you say coach, it's usually guru. Um, yeah. it's usually mentor pay me ridiculous amounts of money um, to just tell you things that you already know, but you're hearing it from me. So you're going to take it more seriously. Um, what's the, what's the old adage? Those who can't do teach. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and then what is it? Those who can't teach manage. 
yeah i think is the next level i of think that. so yeah i don't know maybe we're self-deprecating right now i feel like but <laughs> that's fine we're yeah. gonna roll with it and so i'm i mean think about specialization from like an economic sense right if you take somebody who specializes in taking seven figure founders primarily in the software and e-commerce space to eight figures that's pretty cool that's a really interesting thing right so i'm viewing it more like i'm gonna get a guide that's going to show me how to traverse that next level and network. I mean, I get exposure to the other clients too, which is pretty cool. And by the way, this person is not in the Amazon space, which makes me even more happy because I'm slightly jaded at the moment <laughs> with people that are like, I'm going to take your business to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. No, you're not <laughs> like, cause one, you haven't done it yourself. So how do you know? Yeah. I always <laughs> wonder those who say that, who say that if they, if it's, if it's really that common, I feel like they would they would be making enough money that they wouldn't have to do that. Right. You know what I mean? Like it always I my it's not quite my bull detector, but like it's close. It's you know, I'm I'm yeah. I'm now I'm pausing for a second because I, I, I start thinking this this sounds too easy. Like if if it was really that simple why 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 is this person doing it like i think it's ultimately the question i end up asking myself why why are they in the business of making other people rich so to speak to it's over a meta right it's a meta business versus yeah and and i agree to a certain so in the business world i i think it's subjective only so if we if we switch gears to the health world right um we know for a fact i knew this from day one being a personal trainer you can do all the things and you can learn all the things on your own but the difference is when you don't want to show up and I'm expecting you to show up. The difference is the behavioral side, which stays, says you paid for three months to be with me. And that three months and that payment got you accountability of which you may or may not have it yourself. Listen, some people have it. Russian, they don't need that. A lot of people do. A lot of people know what to do. Most people know what healthy is. Doing it is different. It's different when you have to log your data and go to your coach and be like, yeah, I ate a whole thing of Oreos last night. <laughs> They're like, bro, like what's going on, right? Like let's talk. Versus you just being like, oh, I'll just forget about it. It's fine. So from that standpoint, I'm comfortable with it because I'm used to it, right? On the business side, it's subjective in the sense of it depends on the person. Um, so obviously like when you have knowledge, you want to teach it, right? This is the old Feynman technique, right? The best way to become an expert at something is actually to learn it, enable or which enables you to teach it, right? If you learn something through the lens of having to teach it to somebody else, you actually learn that knowledge a little bit better because you have to be concise and all that good stuff. But I'm okay with it in the extent that it's somebody's time. So there's a difference between somebody who's kind of just your mentor. They just work with you. Then there's, hey, I kind of do this on my own um, because this is my next thing. As an example of which I would be comfortable with, you started four, five SaaS companies, you grew them and you exited them for eight and nine figures. Now you're in your fifties, you're in your sixties. You're like, eh, I don't really want to go through all that, but I got all this knowledge, right? Like instead, why don't I become an angel investor? Or why don't I say, listen, I'm willing to be basically on your board, but I want some cash flow for it, right? I want to make, I want to make it make sense for me. So you can have alignment there and it does depend, right? I don't believe in the whole like, hey, give me 10 grand and I'll, I'll teach you my business things. It's like, well, if you think about it rationally, what if I gave you 10% equity? 
Because if you can actually do what you're saying you're, you're, you're capable of helping me do, you'll make more than 10 grand. Now, it's, high, it's more risk on, on that, the coach's side. But are you confident in making it happen or not? The 10% equity doesn't buy the Lamborghinis. Um, <laughs> but like I, I, I like this, this, this business shaman idea you have there, uh, show title. One thing that, that's immediately coming to mind here that I, I, can't, I keep thinking about as, as you're talking is what would really impress me if, if from this perspective, if I was if I was in your shoes right now, and you know I had a peak performance coach slash business shaman feeding me the ten x peyote, also show title probably. Yeah, I like that <laughs> the ten x peyote. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And keep in mind, this person just for for context and clarity, this person is not helping on the business strategy side. It's not like yo, I built businesses. Like I got you. It's like no personal trainer, nutritionist. Let's get you to peak performance from a health standpoint, which is going to enable you to execute on the things you already know as a business owner. Okay, that makes sense. So then I guess so I, slightly my, my, my original thought is, is slightly adjusted in that like what I keep thinking about is how, you know, using the scenario of somebody, the, the serial entrepreneur who's had multiple successes. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, I would have personally, I would have a very hard time figuring out what to do next. Right. Like that and would be, I would you're gonna need, get bored fast, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, once, you know, you do it once, you do it a few times. All right. Now you have more money and you don't know what to do with. And maybe that's naturally the answer, but I, I would honestly feel really unsatisfied at that point. Yeah. Cause, cause you have nothing like, like great. You achieved it. You got it. Right. Entrepreneurs are people who, who, who need to build, who need to have input into things. I mean, I'm already considering this as like, what is my life going to be like in 20 years? I don't know. Like maybe we exit and I get a windfall. I'm like, cool, what do I do? Like I would probably go do angel investing. (laughs) Like, I mean, it would be fun, right? It'd be like, hey, that's an awesome idea. Here's 50 grand cash. And like, let me sit on your board as a strategic advisor and like help where I can, right? Like that's pretty cool. Now I'm not going to be like, yo, give me two grand and like, I'll put you through like a course kind of thing. Like, no, I don't really care for that. That's not really who I am. And I'm at battle with this too, where I, I view myself as a teacher to a certain degree. I feel like I do have a lot of knowledge, but I don't want to, I don't want to be in that guru thing of like, I'll work with you, but it's going to cost you two grand. You know, it's like, it's, it's unrealistic, but I have had this idea and I want to do it because I think it would just be cool as like have a very select group of people at certain, like at a very certain stage of their Amazon business. Cause that's the world that I know. And, and I want to, I, I would call it the boardroom and like, we would meet once a quarter in person and be like, cool, let's just dive into what's going on. And it's less about like, or it would be less about me being the expert of like, oh, well, here's what you need to do with your business. It's like, no, like, let's just have a, a great conversation and be in the same vicinity of other business owners attempting to do the same thing, like in person, like that would be super cool. And like, but the more I think about it, I'm like, that would take a lot of my time. And so I would have to charge to make it really worth it, right? Because it's an opportunity cost. But then you you run that like, but I really don't want to do that. <laughs> so like, I don't know, right? Um, so I, I think I think positioning makes sense. Um, I think expectation makes sense. If it's the whole like, if, like if I did that thing, I was like, I'm going to take your business from six to seven figures. It's like, have I done that? Yes. Have I done it five times? No. So I'm not going to act like I'm an expert. Um but if it's, hey, it's a very like filtered group of, of small people. So basically you build that small network, right? Like that would be pretty cool. It would be pretty fun. Um, you know, so I, I think it can be done right. I think our industry, 
unfortunately just kind of ruins that where they're just like, no, I'm going to get you from, I'm going to take you from being broke in 30 grand debt to being a millionaire. Like, mm, that's not how that happens, um, especially not in a year. So how, like you want me to go and then be like, oh, but you're going to have to pay me five grand. Okay. So I'm already in credit card debt. You want me to pay you five grand, which is a risk and puts me further in debt to start a business where I don't have money, but need money. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had people when I talk about like automation on like interviews and stuff, they're like, could I pay you to come into my business? <laughs> like, that would be cool. I'm like, yeah, that would be kind of fun because to me, that's more like consulting, right? It's not like I'm making some grandiose thing that like, I'm going to come in, like take you to 10 figures and exit. It's like, no, let me come in and let me basically show you all the things that I know about automation and help you do the implementation of that. And it's the whole like teach a man to fish kind of a thing, right? But like I'm not trying to come in as a guru. It's like, no, like let me be hands-on. Like that, that's I think that's the this that's the delta there, right? I think between being that guru figure and being an actual person who provides value. And I'm sorry, you can say all day long that, oh, well, I'm giving out valuable information, therefore it is of value. I'm not saying it's not, but I am telling you it's not worth two grand. The one of the one of the biggest differences I see between those two potential individuals is that one sells you or attempts to sell you on the idea based on things like guilt and FOMO and things like that, right? Like, yeah, you're in credit card debt, but you know what? You really need to, you really need to drop this extra five grand. Like this is exactly what it's going to take to get you into, to do X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) What you described is more of just the person that says here, this is what needs to happen. Pay me or don't. Let me know when you're ready to start working. Yeah, right? and it's like clear. They, they make the pitch and they leave. That's it, right? There's no, yeah. you you know, th- at no point. Like if somebody came into your business and said, "You're never going to succeed without me," like that's <laughs> right, right? Like, that's, that's not going to fly. Yeah. So why is that? We we shouldn't allow that to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Not to go too far on a <laughs> on a rant here, but here we go. Uh, we shouldn't allow that to be acceptable in the the mentor slash guru space, right? And that's kind of where it's ended up and it's unfortunate because there are a lot of individuals you know and I've, I've spoken with a few of them over the last maybe year or so who have told me that you know they they really didn't have the money for this and now they're now they're out x hundreds or thousands of dollars and they're still not getting anything out of it like they literally just lit that money on fire and i would argue it would probably be more satisfying to actually light the money on fire than to give it to some random individual yeah I mean, so, so here's my thing. I've, I have since the day we started the Facebook group, um, when I, I guess I became a figure in, in the space, have been offered at least three to five times a week somebody to pay me for me to be their coach or mentor. I've said no every single time. I have taken phone calls because I have watched people in our Facebook group execute consistently. And I have actually reached out to them and said, Hey, can we schedule a call? I just want to talk to you for an hour and see how I can help you. And in parentheses, I'm not selling you anything. I'm not trying to like upsell you or anything. I just literally want this, like you're working so hard. I'm on your team now. I'm rooting for you. I want you to succeed. And honestly, I'm not gonna be like, Oh, we're, well now we're my times we're 300 bucks. Therefore like, no dude, piss off. Like it's an hour of my time. Chill. Like, like, let me just help you. It's good karma. And even on the flip side, I mean, God, I've had people be like, yo, I'll fly down to work with you for a week. So like I've given up tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, I would say I've given up probably five grand per month for the last two years. 
but I have strategically done that. A lot of people go, oh, well, that's stupid. Why would you do that as a business owner? Because it enabled me to focus on the thing that actually generates recurring revenue that is worth millions of dollars on the other end. It's, it's chestnut checkers, right? And I've always said this. So my thing is, let's say I wanted to get into to helping people on that kind of structure. What I probably would not do is say, hey, just pay me per hour. Or hey, it's it's $1,000 a month and, I, and you work with me once a week. What I would rather do and what would be more exciting to me is fill out this application. I'm going to hardcore filter you, but I want equity in your company. I want upside. Why don't I want upside? Right? Because the, the, the meager $1,000 a month you would pay me for, let's say, six months, so six grand, is nothing in comparison to me actually being able to, to provide and help on the performance side and give you strategic decisions to make to now you have a seven-figure business and I have 10% equity in that. And then you go to exit it and you sell it for $4 million. Who gives a shit about six, six grand in that equation, right? But, but that's my problem is the majority of people go, I got some knowledge. Let me turn that into a course. But they're not thinking about the fact that that's so short-term, it's not recurring. And if you can be patient for the next two to five years, that 10%, much higher, much, much higher. And by the way, it's way more fun. It's way more interesting because you're building relationships. And you know what else you get to do? You get to have 10% equity, 30% equity, whatever, in two different companies. But because you have both, you can now strategically align them. So you have a strategic alliance to where now the value per share in both companies is is much higher. It's a portfolio approach. Why couldn't you do that? So one, it's lower friction for the person who owns the company. Now it's a harder decision because they're giving up actual equity, but you're not taking so much that they couldn't, like they're still in control, right? Um, So one, it doesn't cost them anything out of pocket. You have a higher upside, but yeah, you got to work. Yeah, you can't just be, you can't just be a symbol of success. You actually, you got to prove it. (laughs) I mean, you got to show up. But to me, that's, more interesting as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, than just give me a few grand. Honestly, who who cares, dude? I don't care about that transaction. I care more about those relationships. I care more about what does my life look like in the next five to 10 years? Not what does it look like this year? Who really cares? And in doing so, my life is dramatic, theoretically, dramatically different. And by the way, it has been because I've executed on this past two years. It is dramatically different because of that. If, you can, if we can make that switch in our industry, everything would change. Everything would change. You would have larger companies, more successful people. And heck, if you're a guru now and you switch to this, you'd make more money over the long term. How great is that? I don't care that you did a million dollars at your launch for your course this year. Can you do it next year? Nope. You're going to relaunch the same thing to a whole new group of people? Come on, man. You can't exit that. You can't sell that. Nobody's going to buy your course and as, as a company, right? So now, now, you're, now you're stuck having to relaunch something every single time. I'm but good. it looks good on the Instagram. Oh, yeah. It looks great on the Instagram until you realize 60% actually want refunds. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not against courses. I am not against courses. I pay for courses. Straight up. I don't pay for courses in the Amazon space. Don't. There's a few that I do like that are actually good quality. Courses outside of our space 
typically are done very well. If you look at Ramit Sethi's stuff um, at IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, which is the funniest thing because that's the most like, you know, fraudish sounding domain name, but he's the most legit person. I take his courses. They are phenomenal. My life has been changed by his courses because it's on personal finance and, and, and some business stuff. But when it's the whole, I'm going to show you how to, you know, go from, you know, zero to a billion dollars, like it, it's ridiculous. Like courses are not bad, but the vast majority of courses are not worth what you are paying for. That's my problem. The $2,000 courses really should be $500 courses. It's like the old adage of, I forget who said it, but most books should have been a blog post and most blog posts should have been a tweet. Hmm. Believe that wholeheartedly. Most courses should have been a blog post. Let's get that correct right now. Yeah. That's why when I started writing for the Vindrive blog, I had enough knowledge to build a $2,000 course, but I also could fit it on a blog post. So what, what are we doing here? Right? Like that's, that's what I did with, uh, with my, it's, it's probably a stretch, a little generous to call it a crash course on Keepa, but I did a post roughly titled the 15 minute crash course on Keepa. And my original thought was I could, I, I could make this a mini course. And then I thought, well, I could just paste it all on one page here and take the reading time, turn that into the blank minute part of the title and be done with it. Right. You know, like I, I could have absolutely sat down and recorded a bunch of videos and broken it up into tiny little one minute chunks to make it look super huge and complicated and important and charged a hundred dollars for it. And I'm sure people would have paid for it, but it was it was easier for me, and I would argue probably more realistic to just write it all down, plop in some screenshots with some annotations, and be done with it. Yeah, right. and a lot of people would argue against you and say, well, you, you missed out on money. Yeah, but let, let's say on the high end, five grand. You made five grand from that course, over the course of a year, by the way. One, was it worth your time? Probably not. Two... Did that really generate that much? No. Like, who cares? Like, it's five grand. I get it. But, like, it's such a short-term thought process. It's such a low-level decision that you're playing checkers, not chess. Hands down. The people that go, like, oh, well, I got I got a, a six-figure Amazon business. Therefore, I know more than you. Therefore, I'm going to sell you a course that, does two, or that, that costs two grand. Based on what? What? Like, honestly, like... So if, if you've never heard of it, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. We study it very heavily um, in the finance space. And so it's an inverted, or no, I'm sorry, it's a U-shape. And so on the um, X-axis, you have, um, uh, or you have um, like your expertise level. And then on the Y, you have confidence. So if you look at the people who have just a little bit of knowledge, confidence is incredibly high. But then you get enough knowledge, enough, enough expertise, so to speak, you're, you actually bottom out in confidence because you realize how little you truly know, right? And then you, tr- you truly become an expert, in which case your confidence goes back up because there's really nothing you haven't seen. But I'm sorry, if you've been running this business for a year, you're not an expert. You have not seen everything. If you've been running an Amazon business or any business for a year, you should be at the bottom of that curve and be like, I don't know crap. <laughs> I'm still learning. Every- and that's where I am right now. It's been two years. I'm like, dude, there's so much that I don't know. Hence why I got a peak performance coach, right? Even on the personal side, I'm like, I have no idea. But but too many people hit that first peak where they go, oh, I got a little bit of knowledge. It feels like a lot. I'm very confident. Therefore, 
I'm an expert. Nope, you're not. Sorry. Um, not how this works. How long have you been doing it? Have you done it multiple times? Because if you've only done it one time, your sample size is one. So how do you know that you can do it again? Maybe you got lucky. By the way, it does happen. If you started seven, or if you, if you started three profitable, successful companies back to back, you know some stuff. Guaranteed. If you started one and it's been two years, you know some stuff, but you're not an expert. Sorry, I'm not an expert. I've started multiple companies. I've been doing this for a while. I'm still not an expert. I don't know crap. <laughs> and I know that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing where that is the business model on the information knowledge side in our space. Makes no sense. You know what you could do though? Here's a beautiful thing that I've been teaching like kind of one-to-one to a lot of people. If you take, and I'm, I'm going to try to make this vocal too. Um, if you take what that, what that business model would be, that knowledge base that you're selling, that's your foundation, right? So imagine a bar at the bottom. We're going to build a pyramid here. That bottom bar, you could turn that into a course and you could sell it. You make some money. That's cool. doesn't really matter in two years. So it's kind of irrelevant. Instead, what if you gave all that knowledge away for free? And then if we go a rung up, so the next layer in that pyramid, you build a company that sits on top of that. What I mean is it's a service. Maybe it's a product. What you're doing is you are strategically delaying profits to build a sustainable business, right? So here's what you don't need when you share all that knowledge you have for free. Marketing. You don't need it. It doesn't exist for you. Why? Because you are giving out things that people have to pay for and you're getting it for free. It's, a, it's going up a layer of abstraction here, right? So instead of saying, that's going to be the business. No, that's your marketing and growth leg. You do that right. You have an audience, which by the way, Here's something that never gets talked about. You build an audience first. You have what's called a feedback loop now. You get to go to those people and say, what's your biggest problem? If 80% say it's problem X, what happens when you solve it? People pay you. One, they already trust you. Two, you've already made their lives better because you've given them value. Why Why wouldn't they at least try your solution? And guess what? If you get X wrong, you still have the audience. You get to go back and try solution Y. Or problem why. What's interesting is you get as many at bats as you need. The the old startup adage just don't die, right? You just if you can just live for another day as a startup, you're doing something right. Imagine that as a business owner though. You don't even need to create a solution. That's the cool part. You don't need to say, like, this is the problem. Like, no, let a group of people tell you what it is and you go solve it. And by the way, within a week of you solving it, you have a successful six-figure business. It's not even hard to do it, but it does take time. Chess, not checkers. So what's interesting is people won't do that because it's more work. And you actually have to be an entrepreneur. You actually have to create something that did not exist to begin with. It's a hard thing to do, but it makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it translates well into starting businesses of any kind, really, right? Like you, you need to build the hype, so to speak, before. I mean, you can, you can launch it without that, but you might as well have not because the the result's going to be the same, right? You're you're not going to have any revenue. You're not going to have any traffic, right? So if if you're not going to have any traffic, why launch it? Why not build your build your audience as you were well, saying? Well, my thing is launch what? How did you get to the conclusion that that was the thing to build? 
your own assumptions and biases. This is a big problem with startups. Oh, that's a problem. I'm going to solve it. Did you validate that problem? With how many people? Did people like offer to pay you for that solution? So now you're running the risk of, of, of spending anywhere between a month to like a year plus building something that you don't even know if people want when you could have flipped it and started with the 80% the eighty most painful problem and you solved that. It's not even difficult, but it does take time. I mean, think about it. That's what we did. We started a Facebook group. We started a podcast, charged nothing for any of those. Every Tuesday for two years of my time for an hour for free, I did live sourcing. I wrote two blog posts a week for a year and a half that were more in-depth than most $2,000 courses. But by doing so, when we launched Aura, people were like, yeah, I'm definitely going to try it. Like, I love you guys. Like, why wouldn't I try it? I don't, need, I don't even need them to, to, to trust the company. I need them to trust me and James, the founders. And we could have got the whole repricing thing wrong. Doesn't matter. We still have we still have an audience that we can we can say, okay, well, that wasn't the thing. Maybe there's something else here that we could solve. Right? We're solving problems. That's really all we're doing as entrepreneurs. You're a problem solver. That's it. Glorified problem solver. But when you focus too much on the financial transaction too soon, I believe you lose. So if we're looking at that that pyramid idea again, I believe that you should lose on the value transaction, which is that bottom rung. Share that knowledge for free. Two, by doing so, you win on the financial transaction at that second level, that next layer of abstraction. It's so interesting. You can do this at a micro level, micro level with wholesale. Lose on the value transaction with your suppliers. Give them more value than they are willing to give you. Lose there because by you being willing to do so, they will give you the account which helps you win on the financial transaction on the back end. People won't do that though. It's a losing, losing strategy. But if you flip it, it's not hard. It's really just not hard. <laughs> well, you know what? I think we've lost all of the gurus. I'll tell you. I can feel them. I can feel them deleting our podcast right now. <laughs> it feels so good. I thought that joke was going to go farther than it did, but no, I, I definitely don't <laughs> think that went through enough. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. Again, I'm not against courses. I'm not against people who have knowledge. I'm not against people who share that knowledge. But how you do that does matter. And if you think that your business is just that, I'm telling you, you're missing out on so much more. I'm telling you that you are missing out on building a much larger business that you could sell. You could exit for a multiple. It's vastly different. Like we need to get away from this whole like lifestyle business crap. Like it's really played out at this point. Like stop trying to build a lifestyle business based off some knowledge you know. Start a real business. If you want to be an entrepreneur, go be one. Don't don't play one. Don't be like, well, I know some knowledge, therefore I'm an entrepreneur because I sell my knowledge to people. No, you're not. Do you own a business? Yeah. Are you an entrepreneur? No, you're not. You didn't create anything that did not exist previously. It's different. There's a difference between being an entrepreneur and a business owner. They are fundamentally different in their approaches. So you don't get to really claim that anymore. Sorry. Build a real business. That's my rant of the week, by the way. Perfect. I'm very, I'm very passionate about this situation for whatever reason, if you can't already tell. But, uh, <laughs> no, I love yeah. it. I love it. Interesting thing.